Nation, did you know you can schedule your real estate sit-down with the guys at rondonsitdown.com? That's rondonsitdown.com, and you'll get a free camp mug that says I sat down with Ron Don. I have 13 of them. Maybe even the guys will take you camping with your new mug. Now back to the show. Hey, you guys. Welcome to episode 416 now of the Ron and Don Show. And oh, yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, uh, Starbucks. They are doing something that has a lot of people up in arms. Because, you know, whenever you have a cup of coffee, it makes you kind of want to go, where's the bathroom? You may not have a bathroom to go to. Uh, We'll talk about why. Also, straight ahead, uh, we got an update about that pilot who wasn't a pilot. Uh, We have found out more now. He's speaking. In fact, he's releasing pictures of what it was like to be in a plane. And there's a pilot sitting up front next to his buddy, Eddie. Why Eddie is on the plane, I don't know. Anyway, this pilot has a cardiac event. He has a split in his aorta. As a result of that, the plane is now heading. Straight for the ocean. And this guy, <laughs> he gets out of his seat. He pulls the pilot out of his seat. He starts flying this damn plane. And we have an update now about the way he's able to land it and uh, what he was thinking and uh, what he said when he first touched down. We'll get to that, though. Let's get to this. A lot of people, Ron, are asking about interest rates, what that means for real estate. Should I be buying? Should I be selling? Uh, Redfin just laid off 8% of its workforce. We saw Zillow crash and burn on its uh, house buying program a number of months ago. They're retooling now and saying, hey, we're coming out with a super app, so look out. Uh, Is the sky falling here when it comes to real estate? And also, we look at inflation, stagflation, and the Fed just had a huge, this hasn't happened since 1994, you guys. Just had a huge uh, rate hike. And people are saying, maybe this is a time I should just sit down and not buy or sell real estate. Your thoughts? Well, there's a lot in that question that you just asked. So, yes, the Fed raised the rate 0.75%. That's the biggest rate it raised in 28 years. So what they're trying to do is to get inflation down. They want uh, that to be down in like the two percent range, and so they only all they have control over is the rate of interest they can charge to banks. That's it. And so what that does is ripple out into the economy. I do hope that people realize that some of the that is not necessarily tied to like your gas pump per se. Uh, the Fed is 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 dealing on a on a macro level. Like the war in Russia probably impacts what we're paying at the gas tank more than what the Fed did. So there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that are uh, moving right now and trying to figure out where things are going to land. But because Don and I work in real estate, trying to bring this back to real estate, your mortgage is going to go up. All right. And so what effect does that have just in economic theory? Well, it slows things down. Like that's what the Fed is trying to do, to slow things down. When money was near 0%, 
then many people are jumping in because that is a good time to buy because your your mortgage is going to be a little bit less. But in Seattle, that created way more competition. And so the competition drove the price up. So if you think about it, I'm paying less on my mortgage. But if I overpaid for the house, it kind of works out in the wash. That was great for sellers. For the past probably two to three, four years, maybe, maybe longer in Seattle, it's been a seller's market. So now it might be tilting back a little bit to be more balanced. It's still a seller's market technically, but a it's going creeping back towards a balanced market. What does that mean? It means that buyers and sellers have about four months of inventory that would be on a market at any time. And so people have become accustomed to things selling in a week or under a week here in Seattle and going over asking price. That is not normal. It's been the norm here for a while, but that's not the norm forever. And so when we see this balancing out, I believe it's a good thing to take out some of the shenanigans. So what we've seen is a lot of agents and a lot of sellers deliberately price their house low in the, in the past year, two years, trying to get a feeding frenzy to drive the price up. And that's where you see these stories of the unicorn houses in the Seattle times. Like we had 39 offers that in my mind should not be celebrated. What that means is that you did a very poor job of pricing your house and you wasted a lot of people's time uh, trying to put offers in on that house. And so when you get to a more balanced part, uh, I think it's a good thing because we're going to find that market forces or going to not have things sell in three days, not have things that really overshoot uh, your list price. It gives buyers a chance to slow down a little bit and to maybe get an inspection report to sort of talk about it. Maybe you see a house longer than 30 minutes before you have to spend a million and a half dollars. And for sellers, it's going to force you to put the house at the, the number you really want not artificially low, so you create this frenzy. Yeah, and don't forget in the month of June 2022 as we are performing this podcast, as we look at the numbers so far this year, uh, 70% of homes that sold recently still sold for over ask here uh, in the Seattle metro area. So and when it comes to inventory, we're at 0 0.6 uh, months of inventory, which, which means it certainly is a seller's market. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing you got to look at. This is when my head is on a swivel and I'm looking to buy starting now. This is when you look because in the market that we've just gone through, you could sell anything, anywhere, at any time. Homes that were teardowns that should have been torn down should have been, uh, especially when you look at some of the neighborhoods they were in because everything around them is torn down. Some of those homes were not getting torn down because they were the only homes that people buy to purchase. So what you're going to see now, sellers, if you're wanting to sell and you want Ron and I to help you sell your house, we'd love to help you. Your home has to be on point. It has to be inspected. You have to do your work. You can't have a bunch of deferred maintenance and think you're going to get away with it. You're just not. Your house, if it's not a cream puff, needs to become a cream puff and that's what I do. That's what I do with all the homes that I sell. Is I turn them into cream puffs. And so we still get max dollar for those homes. So it still is a seller's market. Don't be afraid of going to market. But when you go to market, you better have done your work. It's not like you can just take a home 
with toilet paper hanging in the windows and those are the drapes and sell it to someone and the grass out front is three feet high. Redfin. <laughs> Redfin, you need to learn to mow the grass of the homes that you're selling and take the toilet paper out of the windows. I saw that somewhere. It's very funny to me. So nonetheless, and then, and then when you see the big companies collapsing, the reason they're collapsing is because all the low-hanging fruit is gone. So when you look at uh, finance companies out there, they just start showing up and hiring everybody because we're going to sit here and everybody wants to go and get a lower interest rate. And that's not happening now. So lots of those companies go away. You see the Redfins of the world and the Zillas and all that starting to recoil. You see builders out there now that were buying everything that aren't. And in fact, for the first time this year, we had sold a home to a builder. And in the midst of all this, the builder backed out. We still were able to pivot because we had a retail buyer for this property and we sold it the next day. But you're seeing builders now because money is more expensive for them. So what they want to do is they want to buy your house, but they want you to carry most of the paper while they're down at City Hall trying to see if they can actually get permitting done. That takes about a year and a half. And so they'll buy your house, but they'll want to close on it in a year and a half from now, right? Yeah. What happens a year and a half from now if they can't close, if they've gone bankrupt? So lots of different things that are happening. But if you're a buyer, like I am, this the house that I'm sitting in right now, I bought this house when my son was born back in 2010. Guess what was going on in 2010? This house I'm in was sitting on the market for six months, just kind of sat here. And so I ripped this house. This house I bought for under half a million dollars. Today, the old house would be worth $2 million just sitting on this lot if I never did anything to it. So this is when you get on the hunt. This is when you're going to find homes that do have deferred maintenance that are going to come to market or people want to sell off market called a pocket listing. Or you may find a house on a corner or a house on a busy street or a house that isn't an area where maybe builders are wanting to build, but not right now. So maybe you go in there, you buy that house, you rent that house out, and then you wait till the builders are ready to buy again in about three years, and now they're going to even pay more. Boom, you just buy, you bought a property and you held it, right? You can buy and hold a property. You buy and hold investors. This is a great time. I'm a buy and holder. This is when I'm looking to buy and then I'm looking to hold. And I can teach you how to hold that property because that's how you build wealth, not by buying and selling, buying and selling, flipping houses. You don't build wealth that way. You build it by buying it and holding it. But you have to know the strategies to hang on to that house. And that may mean you run in an Airbnb, maybe becoming a landlord or going out and hiring a company to come in and manage your portfolio for you. Okay, we will see you on the other side. Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to summer. That's right. Les Schwab wants to wish everyone a happy summer. But boy, a summer can sure be going, well, unhappy when you're not ready to hit the road and the road fights back. Yeah. Don't forget, at Les Schwab right now, they have an amazing summer sale that's happening. And before you head out, you want to make sure that you're ready to go because maybe you don't need new tires. Maybe you just need proper inflation. And don't forget, what about that spare tire? Have you checked the inflation rate on that? Because what happens if you do get a flat? You have to change that tire down the I-90 corridor, and then you pull out the spare, and you find out that's flat, too. Stop by Les Schwab. They're going to make sure all your tires are filled with air. 
The proper PSI, that includes the spare, you guys. Hey, and if you don't need new tires, I'll send you on your way. If you do need new tires, they've got great options for all your vehicles, and especially when it comes to, well, a lot of us are thinking about inflation right now, and we're concerned about our budget, and Les Schwab can meet your budget demands. So don't forget, Les Schwab, they get that free pre-trip safety check before you hit the road. Just schedule yours online. Just go to LesSchwab.com. That's LesSchwab.com. Les Schwab tires were well, they've been doing the right thing. Let's say it together since 1952. To say Andrea Mickelson's life is crazy is an understatement. And when it was time to sell her Sammamish home, she admits she was just overwhelmed. There was no way that I could even begin to try to figure out what needed to be done. Andrea had heard all about how Ron and Don do far more for their clients than other realtors, so she gave the guys a call. They immediately jumped in, advising her what she should consider doing, where to spend her money, and where not to bother to get the highest asking price possible. It was absolute relief. I felt that they could take on all the stuff that I needed to have done. The guys took over, leading a small army of experts who dramatically transformed her home inside and out. But Andrea admits, even though the market's smoking hot, she worried a bit about how she'd do. Now, she didn't have to wait long after it went live. So the first offer was 200000 over the, the asking price. And the offers kept coming. Andrea was blown away when they finally settled on a selling price. It got $450,000 over the asking price. It was amazing. Suffice it to say, Andrea is thrilled, and she hasn't stopped recommending Ron and Don to her friends and family since. I'm Andrea Mickelson, and thanks to Ron and Don, I got way more for my door. your sixth grade announcer G-Force O'Neill with Charlie the Dog. Don't forget to pick up a copy of Ron and Don's free buyer and seller playbook. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget, if you need a buyer's playbook or a seller's playbook, just reach out to Ron. Yeah, Ron at ronanddon.com. We'd love to hook you up. Yeah, also, if you're looking to advertise, yeah, we're looking for advertisers. Just a couple more advertisers. Uh, our, our listeners will change your life. They really will. So, especially if you're in the construction trade, Something that has to do with house or housing, any of that. Uh, yeah, we are looking for a few more advertisers for the Ron and Don podcast. Reach out to me directly, Don at ronanddon.com. That's Don at ronanddon.com. And uh, we can chat about uh, that today. Starbucks, uh, a few years ago, I remember being on Terrestrial Radio. And there were two black gentlemen back east, I believe it was in Philadelphia. They came in, they sat down, they were getting ready uh, to have a business meeting. And as they were sitting there and having this business meeting, uh, they were asked to end up leaving the Starbucks. Do you remember that story? I do, because they I guess they hadn't ordered yet because they were waiting for uh, the third person to show up. Yeah. So there were some issues, and these were African-American gentlemen. There were some issues about, hey, is Starbucks being inclusive? And then there also have been some issues about people going into Starbucks and not being able to use the bathroom. And so when Star Starbucks, when Howard Schultz was still in charge, and he's back in charge again, 
Starbucks came out and said, you know what? If you want to come sit at one of our tables, we want to be that neighborhoody place where you can come in and connect to your Wi-Fi. And even if you don't order anything, everybody's welcome. And also, everybody is welcome to use the bathroom. And so they've had these open bathrooms. Then they discovered, you know what? We need to put some codes on the doors of these bathrooms. So we kind of know when people are coming and going. And also, we can't have five people in the bathroom at one time shooting up. And I don't know about you guys. We've all been to the bathroom after somebody has gone in there, specifically that's living on the streets or they're part of drug culture and the mess that they leave behind. You, you can't even use that bathroom, right? You don't want to use that bathroom anymore. So I think it's interesting. Howard Schultz is back in charge of Starbucks again. We've shared the fact he no longer wants to be that store where you come in and you sit down with your with your Wi-Fi and you spend the whole day. They don't want to do that. What they want to do is they want you in and out. They want your mobile order now. Uh, they don't want you sitting in these big stores. And, and I bet we will see Starbucks start to say, hey, let's get rid of these big stores. Now, let's not pay these big leases because we don't own them. You're seeing more just walk up, grab your mobile order, and get the hell out of there. The other thing that they're able to do by not having these big stores is they're able to close the bathrooms. And that's, it seems like within corporate culture, they're making that decision to say, hey, uh, we've just had too many issues and too many problems in our bathrooms. So maybe we create stores now that don't have bathrooms. How about that? It's, uh, this was a, a big one for me in the sense that I, I, I am the guy that will use. If, I, if I'm walking around a city like I was just traveling recently and you need to use the restroom, go into Starbucks because I, I patronize them all the time. And so if I'm not buying something that day, I will use the bathroom. And I think that's fair. Um, and if I need to buy something, I will buy something. But, you know, if I'm for the hundred times I've gone to a Starbucks where I haven't used the bathroom, I think that it's reasonable to go use the bathroom. However, it is the people you mentioned that basically ruin this for everybody. It's the people like I've been to the Green Lake Starbucks where someone's in there bathing. They're in there for 25 minutes and the staff doesn't know what to do. And if you really need to go, you have to go. And it's like, what, what, what do you, I feel for Starbucks because that's where they're at. The rank and file, Howard Schultz can think whatever he wants, but it's the rank and file barista or manager of a store like the Green Lake store, or like the, the, Capitol Hill store where it's like, I'm just trying to run a store here. Someone comes in, they've been in there for 20 minutes. I don't know if they're shooting up. I don't want my employee to step on a needle. You don't know I don't know if they're, out. you know, if they're passed out or no. dead. No. So, uh, it is a quandary, but it is because it's, it's a, the spider web of all the stuff we always talk about with homelessness, drug use, all this stuff. It's people taking advantage of the system. When they heard Starbucks was trying to be inclusive, being inclusive is not a bad thing. But it backfired on them. Yeah, and I also wonder, it'll be interesting to bring it back home, what, what Mayor Bruce Harrell's going to do. Because he said, hey, we're going to clean up these parks. He has cleaned up the park. The Ballard Commons is cleaned up. But it is fenced off and you can't use it. It's been this way for six months now. The park is clean. There are no tents in the park. But there are no kids playing in the park either. And what happened to the people that were in the tents is they just set up their tents on the outside of the park. And that's where they all, all the RVs are. The bottom of my hill, they got rid of a bunch of RVs. Those RVs then just went down to SPU. So there's the merry-go-round, right? We have the, we have the campground and the merry-go-round that have to be shut down, in my opinion. And not to harp on this too much, but they put these big steel girders down where the RVs were parking. 
So now nobody can park there. The people in, in, in my neighborhood that need to park there, especially people that live in mixed-use buildings that don't have parking spaces, and Seattle has moved more toward that, or there are no park. nobody can park there. So we're cleaning up parks that no one can now use. We are taking care of a problem, I guess, when it comes to the derelict RVs by putting in these steel girders. Down at SPU, they just had a graduation. They moved all those RVs out again, and they put up steel girders. And so now down at SPU, at the school down there, no one can park. And one of the reasons they put them in for security and the other reason, they didn't want moms and dads coming from all over the country, seeing how much they spent on their kids' education and having these derelict RVs basically parked all over campus, which then, guess what? As soon as that was over, they removed the, the girders, then now all the derelict RVs have, have returned. So that's the hard thing. The, the hard thing is in these public spaces and places, People that have been emboldened to do things, they are emboldened. And sometimes, and I'll just say it, they're real asses, right? They can be real jerks. They're not nice about it. And because of that, now, it means that none of us can go to the bathroom at Starbucks or park down by SPU or to head off and skateboard at a at a park in Ballard. Yeah, I don't know if I'm smart enough to figure this out because we've been talking about it for 15 years and it still seems to be trending worse than yeah. getting better all right you guys don't go anywhere coming up uh feel good story about a pilot that we have been following uh that was never trained to be a pilot on the other side of this hey you guys we're sitting here with mitch.loans we want to thank everyone for switching to mitch did he change his name from mitch weeks to mitch.loans <laughs> yeah that's his name <laughs> anyway this is something i've been thinking about mitch here comes 2022 I'm going to sit down and do my taxes anyway. Most of the stuff that I'm going to need to send you to do a refi is right in front of me. So as people are doing their taxes this year, it's a great time because you got all the paperwork right there that you guys need to think about doing a refi in 2022, right? It sure is. Yeah. And as you have that stuff in front of you, keep in mind that it's totally free to have a consultation with me. You give me a call, you take the loan application, and we might talk it over and decide it's not the call right now. Refi doesn't make sense. Whether you're buying in the next two years or you're already in a good loan, we'll keep it, you know, like that. But if it's time to switch, you'll be glad you did. So switch to Mitch, and let's get that call going. There we go. He's Mitch Weeks. He's the official mortgage guy of the Ronadon Nation. Go to Mitch.loans right now for more information. Save half a percent on your new loans at Mitch.loans. NMLS 169-1573. All right, guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show again. If you need uh, Mitch, just switch over to Mitch.loans. If you need uh, tires, yeah, check out our good friends at Les Schwab. The summer driving season is here. Get a free pre-trip safety check. Go to LesSchwab.com. And if you need us, RonandonSitdown.com. Uh, what, what's the latest update on this pilot, Ron, that uh, you shared this amazing story with us a couple weeks ago? Yeah, it's a, it's a guy named Darren Harrison. This was the guy that landed a plane in Florida by having zero flight training experience we've already heard the story of the flight controller the air traffic controller that was also an instructor that helped him land the plane but they didn't give us any information on what happened inside the plane because i the a i don't think they knew whether or not the pilot was going to survive and his family didn't want any of that to be public yet but now uh that it's been going on for a couple weeks or, or so the pilot of the plane 
uh, has survived. He's been given surgery. And so now they're, they're releasing more of this information. So I believe it was People Magazine talked to Darren and they wanted to know what happened. So for the first time, he said he sort of gave us the, the info. So Darren and his buddy Russ were going on a guy trip, a fishing trip off the coast of Florida down by the Bahamas. And so they chartered this plane. Russ and Darren go down, they go fishing, and they're coming back. And so it's the end of the trip, and Darren gets in. He's in the back of the plane. He said it was felt really roomy, kicked his flip-flops off. He's just back there enjoying the flight. Russ was sitting up front because he wanted to see everything. Yeah, and it's a brand-new Cessna. I think it's single-engine, but back in the cabin, it's kind of cool because it, it's like the old Southwest Airlines where you have the two jump seats that face each other. So they have two jump seats, two jump seats. And and so he was just kicking back. He took some pictures of himself in the cabin. Uh, just he's sitting in the seat. His feet are up on the other seat. And then you're, you're seeing the, the, the captain of this air, the, the, do you call him a captain on a? Sure. Yeah. It's a chartered plane. You see the captain and, and you know, this captain is about to go down, but so little the, does he know, you see this picture. You're like, Oh the, my god. The gosh. captain says to the two passengers, Hey, uh, something's going on. Why he's flying? My, my head is starting to get fuzzy. My vision is blurring a little bit. I don't know what's up. And then, boom, he basically collapses uh, and is non-responsive. And the plane starts to nosedive. The plane starts to nosedive. And so Darren, he uh, comes up there and he says, Russ, can you grab the stick? He calls it the stick. It's the yoke, I guess is the real name of it. And just sort of, you know... Hang on to that for a minute. So he unbuckles the guy's harness, the pilot, drags him to the back. While doing that, he rips out the communication system out of the pilot's side of the seat. Darren then jumps in there. He says, I didn't want to put the harness back on because if the plane blew up, I I thought I would want to get away from the fire as quickly as possible. They're nosediving, and he says, I've been in enough small planes to know to not just yank back really hard on the stick. He's like, that could rip the the wings right off if you're in a nosedive. So they had started at 9,000 feet. They were below 3,000 feet. He grabs the deal, uh, the stick, and he starts to pull back slowly. And he's like, and they they leveled out. And so now he's trying to... Well, f- then they climb back to... He, yeah, so he, he, he climbed, climbed back, back up to 9,000 feet. 9,000 feet, a non-pilot. It's amazing. And so he needs to figure out how to get the communication back. So he said, Russ hands him his communication stuff. He says it took him 20 minutes of flying to finally get the radio back up. And then he realized uh, finally when he saw a compass that they were flying south when he should have been flying north uh, to get to uh, uh, Florida. Yeah, he said none of the other gauges work, but there was this old compass that he recognized that was sitting on the dashboard of the plane. And that's how he navigated with the compass on the honking dashboard of the plane. So he does a 180. And uh, did not know how to fly. Does a 180. um, Figures out where he is. They get the radio working. He's talking to the tower. And so um, the guy starts telling him to, you know, practice his elevations. He's like, I want you to get to 3,000 feet. And then I want you to get to 2,000 feet. So he's practicing this. And the guy in the tower can see on radar his elevation and with the communication with the plane. So they finally get it in there. And and he's saying, you're going to come up to the um what was the airport is it the i want to it's not palm springs it's of the fort lauderdale or i mean it's a major airport yeah he's like in the the, on the coast on the coast of florida because he says the reason 
he knew he was in Florida is he's just he started to see the shape of Florida. Right. <laughs> and so instead of going to a private airport with narrow runways, this flight instructor is like, I'm taking you to like the place where the 747s and the 777s land because the runways are really big. And so he finally sees it. They halt all the other air traffic. And he's like, how do I slow down? So they, I guess they came down one time to land. He was going too fast. And the guy told him, come back up and circle around like you're going too fast. He's like, how do I slow down? So he had to get Russ. Russ, grab that lever and pull back. He's like, okay. So they're able to regulate. He's showing him how to regulate the speed. Um, he's like, once I land, how do I stop? And he's like, let me practice how to use the brakes. So uh, they circle back around. He gets it to a, a relatively slow speed, brings it down, and lands this plane. Emergency vehicles were waiting. They got the the real pilot who had a coronary event off to the hospital. He had to go undergo surgery. He has survived that surgery. But uh, Darren, uh, they just said, hey, he's like, I'm not dying with my wife being six months pregnant right now. And he turned out to, to be right. Yeah, and he said he... he- didn't he get on the ground? It was the first thing he do, did. I think he kissed the ground. I think he. Yeah. That's an amazing story. It is, it's a I'm glad story. that the pilot uh, lived. Yeah. Make sure you check out the pictures, you guys. They're, they're online, so give that a Google. Hey, thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of the Ron and Don Show. If you need me, reach out to me, Don at ronanddon.com. Ron is at ron at ronanddon.com. Everything at ronanddonsitdown.com. You need Mitch, Mitch.loans, need Les Schwab. Yeah, stop by there where you hit the road this summer. Uh, com. Find one of their 84 locations to serve you in the summer driving season. It's here. All right. Yeah. Need us for real estate? Reach out. Ron and Don. Sit down.com. We can virtually sit down today. Thanks for all the great, just a lot of you sending friends and family. We appreciate that so much. And I think we're doing a good job on our end too of working hard for you guys to take care of our customers. Thanks for making us your broadcasters, your real estate agents, and your friends. Until next time, you keep your head up, your shoulders back. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show. Oh, they! On the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet, and we'll see you next time. Only! 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 On the Ron and Don Radio Network.